I told the uh, Sunday school class earlier, uh, Jeremy couldn't make it today, so his younger brother, Jerome, is filling in. <laughs> yes, I got in a fight with a razor and I lost, but uh, hey, it's, it's baby week, right? Welcome back, Mats. Woohoo! Baby in the house. So uh, we're sporting the baby face for baby theme. I'll go with it. That's good. It's good to see everybody here this morning. And uh, we are back into our book of Hebrews, back into our study. So if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, if you need a Bible, should be one in the pew in front of you. Uh, but we're in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to go all the way over to chapter 9. Man, we're already in the ninth chapter. There's 13 chapters in this book. If you haven't looked yet, don't get too excited, though, because the last ones are really long. <laughs> so, uh, and so are my sermons. But anyway... We are in Hebrews 9, and so we are making some progress. Today, uh, our message is Jesus, the tabernacle. We're going to look at that. We're, Lord willing, I, I have up here 9, 1 through 10. We'll probably go a little further than that. In fact, this morning in our reading, I'd like to push forward to uh, verse 15 in our reading. So if you would, let's look together in the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 and following. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who perform the service perfect in regard to the conscience concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal, and I want to underline that one, that's not temporal, eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you teach us today. Lord, send your spirit to, to illuminate, to enlighten us to the truth of these texts, to what the uh, writer the author intended for us to see. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Make these truths known to us today and that as a result of these truths, perhaps someone would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That He is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And those who are here who are believers followers of Christ, may our faith be strengthened today as a result of this study, as a result of this time in your word. So Lord, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. So help us, Lord, in drawing near to you. May you be glorified in all that's said and done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're here in Hebrews 9, and as you know, the background prior to this is Jesus is better. The appeal being made to those who were recipients of this letter in that culture at that time during that day were Jewish audience predominantly, many of them struggling with newfound faith in Christ, needing some assurance in the path that they are now on and following Christ, coming out of the traditional and Jewish customs that were still going on in that day because the temple was not yet destroyed. The temple would not be destroyed until AD 70, though it's close at hand. And yet the others that were there in the midst of that congregation were no doubt uh, fence straddlers, one foot in, one foot out, not real certain, being pulled by those Jews who said, no, we're we're going to go back into the traditional things, the things that we know, the Old Testament rituals and practices. They were non-believers. And by way of application, we've mentioned this week in, week out, that even in the midst of a congregation today in the church age, in this time of grace, we have in our midst similar categories. Believers. Struggling in their faith, needing confidence, needing assurance pressing on to the upward call. Yet we have those one foot in, one foot out, struggling, not yet coming to the saving knowledge of Christ, not yet fully surrendered, not yet born again, but sit in here week in, week out, and taste of the goodness of God, participate in the happenings of the church. And then we have, no doubt, tares in our midst, non-believers, either self-deceived, thinking they're okay, 
because of tradition, because they've prayed a prayer, because I've been baptized, banking their salvation on some ritualism, some traditional aspect. And yet we find ourselves at the end of Hebrews chapter 8 where the writer has introduced two important things we've been looking at. It actually goes on back quite a ways. When he first introduced us to Jesus as a better priest, he's a greater priest, he's the great high priest, and he, he gave you the story in the background of how he is of the order of Melchizedek. And the reason he referenced that is saying he's not of the line of Aaron because uh, he's not in the line of Aaron. In fact, he's in the line of Judah. And so some people may have been using that as a reason to reject Jesus. Well, he's not. He, how can he be a priest? He's not of the line of Aaron. Oh, he's of the line of Melchizedek. He's in the order of Melchizedek. Let me say it that way. He's in the order of Melchizedek. And the mystery surrounding Melchizedek was there was no beginning and no ending. He kind of just shows up on the scene and then he's gone. There's no genealogy of his birth or his death. And so that was a picture of the coming Christ and his eternality. And so the writer's saying Jesus is of a greater priesthood. He's of the order of Melchizedek. That's what this pointed to. Abraham tithed. To Melchizedek. Yet Aaron's through that, those promises through that line. And yet, here's a greater priest. Jesus is a greater high priest. And he's been talking about that. And he also introduced the subject. He's also the mediator of a greater covenant. And we ended last time when we took our providential rabbit trail, I trust. We talked about the new covenant. And so the writer has just introduced in chapter 8 at the end that the old covenant's passing away. There's a new covenant. And he quotes Jeremiah 31, 31. And the prophet Jeremiah foretold of a better covenant to come. And this was to point us to Christ Jesus. You see, under the Mosaic law, under the Mosaic covenant introduced on Mount Sinai, we begin to see types and shadows that point people to Jesus Christ. Those were earthly shadows and types. Those were not the substance. And that Mosaic law and the practices of the uh, priesthood, all of these things were simply types and shadows that point to the real. And so the Hebrew writer has been making the case and he's going to continue to make the case here in this chapter of why Jesus is not only a greater priest, he's a greater mediator because all these things point to Jesus Christ, the substance. What's greater, the tree or the shadow? Oh, look at the shadow, man, that's an awesome shadow of the tree. Yeah, here's the, look at the actual tree and all its beauty and its color. No, dude, check this out. This is awesome. Look at the shade on that, man. That's like black and it's, it's shade. It's, it's a shadow. Man, that's awesome. I'm, I'm staying here in the shade. But look at the beauty of the tree. Nah, you can have the tree. And yet this is what some of these people are saying. The writer's pleading, look at Jesus. 
He's the fulfillment. He's the substance of the shadow. Why are you focused on the shadow? Man, don't neglect so great a salvation. This is the real. And so we begin here in chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 9. He says, then indeed, even the first covenant. By the way, when you hear the first covenant, then there's probably a second covenant, right? If there's an old covenant, that means there's probably a new covenant. We usually argue that reverse-wise, and you can. There's a new covenant. He's just told us that in the text, the previous chapter. A new covenant. Therefore, there must have been an old covenant. Why did the old covenant fail? Not because of God, but because of the people. That's where the flaw was. The flaw wasn't in the types and the shadows that we're pointing to. The law, no, 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 no. The law was still good, but it was good to point out the sinfulness of man. Apostle Paul said, I would not have known coveting had it not been for the law. We know we're broken. We know we're in need of a Savior because the law reveals to us who we really are. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And so, we begin to see here, the writer says, indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. What's he saying? He's saying, there's, look, there's two parts of this thing. The, the, the earthly things, these earthly rituals that you guys are wanting to go back into, these traditional things, yes, they had divine inspiration. They have divine origins. They have divine implications. But the divines come. So he says, for a tabernacle was prepared. Now, why does he go to the tabernacle? Why not the temple? The temple's standing just down the road, right? He appeals to the tabernacle. And as you'll recall, on Mount Sinai, God gives to Moses the instructions, the detailed instructions on how to build the mobile tabernacle. Remember? Remember how God was leading the people out of Egypt? And you remember after he comes down from the mount, he gives them the law and the Mosaic uh, laws are introduced. And so, uh, so begins the ceremonial law. So begins the moral law. That so begins the, um, uh, the, the various uh, institution of the covenant that was introduced at Mount Sinai. And so as a pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, he gives them the instructions of how to build and construct the tabernacle. He gives detailed description on how the tabernacle is to be designed. Detailed instruction. And so the writer of Hebrews starts there because that's the scriptures. I love it. He's exegetical. He's starting with the scriptures. Okay? Because no doubt, you and I know, by Jesus' day, the temple's not functioning like the temple was designed to function, right? And so he appeals to the tabernacle, that mobile uh, tabernacle, as they wander through the desert and would have to break down and set up and travel and break down and set up. And so he wants to make an appeal to the listener about what these types and shadows were. How Christ, Jesus, is seen in the tabernacle. So let's take a look. 
You notice he lists some of the things here in the text. He actually begins in the holy place, the sanctuary, before moving into the holy of holies within the tent of meeting. But I want us to kind of see the whole thing because I think in understanding the, the artifacts, as he's going to point out, he's also going to point out the rituals that took place there. I want us to see this in its wholeness because I think in doing so, we'll get a better understanding of how this points to Jesus Christ. You see, the writer, he, he, the reason he's not including all the details is because these people are familiar with it. They understand it. I'm not going to bore you talking about, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm talking with Metz about the Braves, and I know he knows a lot about the Braves, I'm not going to bore him probably with, you know, naming this guy or that guy. And, you know, he, he knows, so we're going to just pick up in the conversation. Right? You're talking to Andrew about the Bills, you don't need to tell... Andrew about the bills. He knows about the bills. All right. By the way, it's Buffalo night at the Pivovarskis tonight. So bring your Buffalo dish, Polish dish. Join us. Glad to have you. But we don't talk about these things. We don't have to give all the detail. And so I think the writer here is just hitting some of the items because he doesn't have to go into all of it. Well, you know your preacher, he can't just leave that in. I got to go into it. So let's take a look. In John 1.14, we find this passage. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may want to circle that word, dwelt. The Word became flesh. And by the way, if you go back to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is where it's the same word as tent. It's the same idea here. So when you see the tent of meeting, which is usually referred to in the Old Testament, simply the holy place and the holy of holies, that tent within the courtyard, sometimes the whole place is referred to that, but oftentimes it's that dwelling place. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> Two things here in this passage today I want us to look at. We're going to look at the earthly tabernacle, and we're going to look at the eternal tabernacle. I believe that's what the writer is intending here. He's saying, yeah, I know you've seen the earthly. I know you understand. I know you've got a knowledge of the earthly. But let me tell you about the eternal. Because the eternal is far greater than the earthly. The tabernacle itself and its furnishings point us to the very presence and provisions of God among His people. The reason the writer of Hebrews is taking us on this journey is because he is wanting to point out these, these things. These furnishings of the tabernacle, these practices of the tabernacle, these worship ideas of the tabernacle should be pointing you people to Jesus Christ. The very presence and the provisions of God among His people. Where was the tabernacle located? It's in the wilderness, right? Remember when they're in the wilderness? But specifically, when they would set up shop, 
under God's instruction, the tabernacle was to be right in the center of the camp, the middle of the camp. Why? Say that again. Okay. Within equal distance. What's the point? What's the spiritual point? What's it pointing to? God is in your midst. God is in your midst. Think of the promise. Emmanuel stands for what? God is with us. Jesus, before he went away, said, Lo, I am with you always until the end of the world. God has always desired to be in the midst of his people. The desire of relationship that God extends to man is still being extended today. God desires to be in your midst. And as born-again believers, he indwells our temple. We know in the New Testament we understand, and this is what the New Covenant speaks to, sealed till the day of redemption the spirit of God indwells us but again here in the tabernacle its specific location was to point people God is to be in the center of your life can I, I just stop for a second is he at the center of your life we carry the name they carry the name of God you carry the name of God as a Christian. Is God truly, truly at the center of your life? What does this symbolize? God's presence. God's presence was there. God is with them. Exodus 25, 8, he said, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's why he gave this instruction. This is part of that old covenant. This is part of the Mosaic teaching. He said, look, Give you details on the tabernacle. Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It also looks at God's provisions. What are the articles and furnishings of the tabernacle pointing to? What are these things? Table of showbread and candles, lampstand and altar of incense. What, what, what are all these things talking about? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at that. God's provision of forgiveness and ultimate redemption in Christ. That's what it's pointing at. You see, we, it, the problem was by the time Jesus is on the scene, it's become so ritualistic, it's become so routine that it's humdrum, slings some smoke. You know, it's, and look, guys, if we're not careful, isn't that what happens to, to our worship? If we're not careful, our worship becomes the same thing. It becomes so traditional, it becomes so rote, it's just about checking in, checking out. Most of you check out when you get here. But, you know, I went to church on Sunday, I feel better about myself, now I'm going to go have pot roast at Mama's house. What? Guys, is that really God's intent for all of this? God's provision of forgiveness and ultimate redemption in Christ... That was why those articles were there. There is a purpose and point to everything we do in worship. And God's to be at the center of it. Here's the tabernacle. Let's see if I can get, get this thing to work right. All right. Where's my laser pointer? Is it top?
You know this thing? It's that, that little button at the top blinking? Yeah, I hear you. Let's put it right there. All right, thank you. All right. I want everybody to look here. The tabernacle. Now you'll notice this outer wall here. Now if you want to know something about this stuff, um, we get on into Ephesians. You'll also see within the temple the, the outer wall that separated the, the Gentiles and the women, uh, not allowed into certain areas. The wall of separation. The wall of separation has been torn down. But... Um, in the tabernacle, there's one entrance right here. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to notice the various uh, places. By the way, this is what was called the tent of meeting. All right? Here you see Shekinah glory coming down in here. Um, we've got the lampstand. We've got the showbread. We've got the altar of incense. Uh, we've got the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Nope, it's not the one that will melt your face in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But... Uh, Anyway, somebody asked if I was going to show that. Probably not. Actually, I did have a little picture, but I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. All right. So let's take a closer look. I want you to look at the flow of worship because this is something the, the people of the Old Testament understood. I know you can't see it. Strain your eyes. Let me see if I can help point it out. They had to enter right here. There's only one way. Only one way to enter. We'll talk about that in just a second as well. So you've got sacrifices and confessing that would take place. They would bring in their animals. And this would be the place they would be altered. They'd be taken to the altar. I'm stepping out of your camera here because I don't like your tape. So I'm just moving. That's all right. I'm breaking a cardinal rule. So right here, you'll see they would come to the bronze altar. And the animals would be sacrificed. This signifies death. And so this is where those burnt offerings would be made. The priests would go to the bronze laver. This is water in here. The cleansing of the hands and the feet, as according to Scripture. They would also have to come here after being in the holy place. They would come out and clean their hands here. But as they enter into the holy place... Worship. They would come in here. Here's the table of showbread. Here's the lampstand. Here's the altar of incense. We'll talk a little bit about that more in depth here in just a second. And then here's the veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And this was only entered into once a year. One time a year only by the high priest. The regular priest... They could stay in this area, and they were in and out, in and out, working all this, this section here, offering the sacrifices, coming in. But, but only the great high priest could go in here once a year. And you know the story with the rope tied on in case he dropped dead, they could drag him out, all right? He only went in there on the Day of Atonement, sprinkling blood on the mercy seat, all right? Again, why? What is all this pointing to? I'm glad you asked. Look at these three. By the way, I, I believe, you know, again, God is triune in being, and so I can't help, and I don't want to spiritualize and symbolize and allegorize, you know, because that can get us in trouble. But I, I just, I don't know. There's just some things that I just think, man, that's, that's a little good. I, I just got to chew on that one for a second. But anyway, I want you to think about this one. All right? They always entered in from the east. In case some of you didn't know, the sun rises from the east to the west. <laughs> um, 
And I think there's something in that. The idea that the light is what we should follow. The light of the Word, we should be walking in the light of the Word. We should be following after the light of the world, the S-O-N, not the S-U-N. But they would come in, and by the way, only one way to enter. Only one entrance here, right here. This would bring them into the outer court. And then they would go through a narrow entry. By the way, this was always open. This was always open. Whosoever will, let them come. And so if true worshipers wanted to come, they would come and that sacrifice would be brought. And the priest would take those sacrifices they would enter into the holy place through the door. And then the high priest, the, the high priest would go through the veil, as mentioned, into the holy of holies. The way, the truth, the life. Some good passages here you may want to write down and look up later. But Jesus said, hey, I'm the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. One of the first things they would come to when they came through the gate, they would see the brazen altar. Now think about the brazen altar. The bronze altar, as it often was referred to, stood in the courtyard of the tabernacle. This is where the animals were sacrificed to cover the sins of the Israelite people. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Shed blood. In the blood is life. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He's pictured in all the sacrifices God commanded Israel to bring. Read those passages. Go back and look in Leviticus. Look at the, the, the practices, the, the rituals. Look in Exodus as it was laid out to Moses how they were supposed to do this. Guys, when you, as a believer, your eyes should be wide open. As, as with spiritual understanding, you should be able to read those Old Testament practices and see Christ all in it. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Think about this. What did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Then they, the, the brazen laver, the, the place where they would wash their hands and their feet. It was here at the bronze laver that the priests washed their hands and feet before entering into and coming out of the holy place. The laver was made from the bronze mirrors of the women and filled with water for the continual cleansing of the priests as they ministered in the work of the Lord. And again, the rich symbolism that's seen here. You know, we are forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are made clean through the washing of the water of His Word, we're told in Scripture. Baptism is, is a symbol. It doesn't save us, 
But again, all of these things, when we see the New Testament, read the New Testament, we think upon the Old Testament, there is one storyline from beginning to end, and it's all about Jesus Christ. John 15, 3, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, Jesus said. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration, spiritual rebirth, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant offers us forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus Christ. When we repent of our sins, when we come to Him and enter the gate of whosoever will, let them come. And we recognize that the sacrifice that's been made on our behalf through the person of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sin. We can be made cleansed. We can be baptized by the Holy Spirit because we receive the free gift of salvation. It's not an act of righteousness, not a work that we do. It's a free gift. Christ has done the work. He's finished it. He's completed it. But in that day, it was in and out and constant and over and over. And every year, and then, a high, then a high priest would die and they'd have to get a new high priest of the, Aaron, uh, of the line of Aaron. And there was just this constant. And as the writer in Hebrews said, this, this didn't make the conscience clear. Christ can. So the holy place. So, so we, move, we move from the outer courtyard... We go to, the again, the, the brazen altar where the sacrifices was made. You see the, the labor of, of, of water and then the holy place. And this is the front room, the sanctuary, the front room. Here would be the menorah, the lampstand. And the lampstand was always lit. It was to be always lit. The, 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 the priests were to keep that continually burning. To always be shining. And there's reference there. I mean, we can look again at, at Christ in the light of the world and we can think about the eternal life and, 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 and walking in the light and not in the darkness. And there's so many rich symbolisms that are laid out here. The table of showbread, 12 pieces of bread representing the 12 tribes of Judah. God always provides for His people. Jehovah Jireh, God provides. If you're, reading New, if you're reading the King James, it's God provideth. Okay? But God provides. Again, look into the New Testament. Twelve apostles. We see the altar of incense right here. Now, the Hebrew writer puts it in the Holy of Holies. But it would actually be here next to the curtain and the smoke, no doubt, penetrating throughout sweet-smelling aroma representing the prayers of God's people. And the priest would offer those prayers on behalf. First, he would come to it offering his own prayers for forgiveness of his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Again, the difference that's been argued in Hebrews, Jesus did not have to do that because Jesus had no sin. Therefore, he's a greater high priest, was one of the arguments. The golden lampstand, symbolizing the light from God, 
the intricately patterned lampstand was to give light continually, fueled by clear olive oil. Exodus 27, 20. Revelation 1, 12 through 20, indicates local churches are represented by golden lampstands. Again, guys, man doesn't make this book. This is godly, divine inspired. This is of God. There's no way these things fit over thousands of years and practices that have been going on for thousands of years can have this uniformity, this... Unless it's God. And it is. Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12. Christians are to be a light to the world. Also Matthew 5, 14. The table of showbread, a symbol of God's providence. The table held the 12 loaves of bread that were a reminder that the tribes were constantly in the presence of God and that God saw all that they did. Leviticus 24, 5-9. The bread also reminded the people that God fed His people. Give us this day our daily bread. God provides for you, lest you forget. I know you work hard, but who gives you the energy? Who gives you the strength? Who lets you get out of bed in the morning? To God be the glory. Give us this day our daily bread. God provides what we need. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We as Christians are daily in God's presence. Do you know that? We've, again, been reading. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But we are to feed on God's truth. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus is the bread of life. Again, rich in symbolism. The altar of incense. Incense was continually burned at this altar that stood before the veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. The high priest was to make atonement on its horns once a year before entering the holy of holies. Do you know the altar of incense can also be seen as a picture of the intercession of Christ? The, the writer of Hebrews has just laid this out beautifully. Go back and read it. Just as the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard was a type of Christ's death on our behalf, the altar of incense in the holy place was a type of Christ's mediation on our behalf. Christ's work on earth and in heaven. The altar of incense was situated before the mercy seat of the ark, a picture of our advocate stand, uh, sitting, actually I would say, in the presence of the Father. And that's found in Hebrews 7, 25, 9, 24. The incense was to be burning continually on the altar of incense, which shows the perpetual nature of Christ's mediation. Christ's intercession on our behalf is a sweet-smelling savor to God. God. God lives to intercede on our behalf. He currently, right now, is in the very presence of God, seated at the right hand of God. Showing the completed work. Because the, the priest went in there, he never sat down. He not dare sit down on that mercy seat. That's God's presence in between the cherubim, the Shekinah glory. No, 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 that belongs to God. He's not sitting, he's standing, he's getting out of there as quick as he can. But Jesus Christ entered into the true, not a replica. And he stands and sits in the very presence of God, interceding continually on your behalf. Because the accuser of the brethren night and day accuses you. 
aren't you glad you have an advocate in Jesus Christ? He's a better mediator. He's a greater mediator. He's the greatest mediator. The inner veil. Again, you've got to go back and read some of the stuff in Exodus and Leviticus. The detail, and you see the, the, the pictures of the cherubim on there and just how the, they would, you know, uh, use goat hair and all this kind of stuff and just weave these things. I mean, it's just amazing stuff how, how it all, again, symbolic, pointing to the coming of Christ. The inner veil hung between the holy place and the holy of holies and was passed only once a year by the high priest on the day of atonement. Think about this. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20, we'll get there, teaches that this veil represents Christ's body, which was given for us on the cross. When he offered up his spirit, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, thus allowing anyone to come at any time into God's presence. Guys, this is no coincidence that when Jesus Christ is crucified upon the cross, do you remember what he said just the day before? A couple of days? Remember when he was in the upper room and he introduces the new covenant? He says, this is the new covenant. This is my body broken on your behalf. This is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. He is explaining to them the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. He's laying it out as plain and simple as he can. You've been under the Mosaic law. You've been looking for the Messiah. I am telling you, I am him. He didn't say it in that way, but he said it. He said it. And he offered them the new covenant. And when he was crucified, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who put him to death, and the Jewish people who shouted out, let his blood be upon us. And our children, crucify him, crucify him. The veil <sighs> ripped from top to bottom. God did it. And it represents that the access to the place that only the great high priest could go is now thrust open. And whosoever will, let them come. They can only come through the Son, Jesus Christ. But he's made a way. He's the great high priest. In him we have access to the throne room of grace. Come with boldness, he says. The Ark of the Covenant would have been in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. It's a symbol of God's law. The Ark was made of wood covered with gold. The Ark was the throne of God where His glory rests on the mercy seat. A symbol of His mercy, the sacrificed blood was sprinkled on the Ark to cover the sins of the people. And again, um, you, you think about it, you can't really see it here, but uh, inside, here we see the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets, right? We see Aaron's um, rod and its budding. And then we see a golden uh, vase here uh, that contained manna from heaven. You say, well, what's that all about? Because that's mentioned. That's mentioned in our Hebrew text, isn't it? This is where it pays to know your Old Testament history, guys. The law. Could man keep the law? No. That's why there's blood sprinkled on the ark to cover the sins of the people. You're not going to keep the law. But there's coming one who will fulfill the law 
And so temporarily we do these year-in, year-out sacrifices not to remove, not to offer forgiveness in its completeness. That can only be found in the Messiah coming. But he's coming. And so year-in, year-out, Day of Atonement, this would be done. The jar. You remember the manna? God provided in the desert manna from heaven, bread from heaven. What did Jesus say? John 6 and John 8. He said, remember when the Jewish people were arguing that uh, Moses gave us manna from heaven. Now Moses didn't give it to you. you the Father in heaven gave, gave manna. But you know what? He offers you the bread of life. And if you eat of me, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We can't listen to this. They're going away. And he asked his own disciples, you're going to leave me too? He said, they answered, who are we going to go to? You have the words of life. Jesus is the bread from heaven. That's symbolic. It's pointing to the bread of life that God the Father sent into the world to give you life. The rod with the budding branch. You need to go read this. Not only, did it not, not only did it bud, it also produced flower, and it also produced, anybody know what it produced? Somebody say it real loud. An almond in a day. Man, that's the kind of snack I want next to my recliner. Think I want some almonds. Hey, look at that. Why? You need to go back and read the story. There's a rebellion that rises up under Moses and, and, and the, the rebellion of Korah. And, uh, well, yeah, you know, we're not, you're not the only one that hears from God and, you know, and this kind of stuff. And they're wanting to rebel against leadership. That never happens. And ends up, ground opens up. Swallows a bunch of them. They question Aaron's authority. God chose, because he asked, he said, all right, we'll, we'll do something here. Have everybody bring, each tribe bring their rod, staff, lay it. Come back. God will reveal which line he's, he's made these promises to, if you will. And they come back, and boom, there's the, there's the budding on Aaron's. Not the others. You would have think they would have said, Okay, we'll listen, we'll listen, we're sorry, we're sorry, we'll listen. But no, they still chose sides, and then that's when the earth opens up and follows them. And then, they, of course, they end up getting a plague, and like, I don't know, 17,000 of them died. And that's what always happens, guys, when we're stiff-necked and we don't want to submit to God's ordinances, when we don't submit to the way God has ordained it. Aaron, it wasn't Aaron, it wasn't Moses, it was God they were rebelling against. You don't have to like everything your leadership does. But we have a responsibility, right? And there's no other way around that. There's no other way around that that makes that right. God showed that to the people of Israel. And so that is put in the ark as a reminder. The phrase mercy seat also means propitiation. Jesus is the propitiation for us today, Romans 3.25, 1 John 2.2. 2. His blood was shed to cleanse our sins. We come to God through Him and offer our spiritual sacrifices. 
tabernacle. These were the elements. You know what? We're actually fortunate today. We had a live crew on the spot back in, I don't know, that year. Let's take a look. there's a reason why you see the cherubim wings there in, in woven. That was instruction from the Word of God. All right, now we're in the Holy of Holies. We're only the, the only person who ever saw this was the great high priest. Nobody else was allowed in there. So only he was allowed in there one time a year. Now, they wouldn't have been on the floor. We just put them on the floor so you get a look at it. Right? Um, but again, the things that, that would have been in there manna, the, the Ten Commandments from the law, and you see the uh, budding staff there. The kind of glory was what was glowing there in the middle of the two cherubim. We didn't want to stand there long because that's the holy hole. But now we can. Now we can. I knew it was getting near lunchtime, so I thought I'd bring you back over to the table, Aaron. 
Let's see the bread again. Make you a sandwich later, okay? So, this gives you an idea of what the tabernacle was like. Here's the conclusion. Jesus Christ is a greater high priest. Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. Do you know Him today? The gate's open. Whosoever will, let them come. Jesus Christ has made a way. These things told of Him. They've been in our presence for centuries and centuries and centuries. They point to the Messiah. They point to Emmanuel. God is with us. And Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. We are all sinners. We have all sinned. And we all need forgiveness. And we all need redemption. And gang, Jesus offers it to you. By faith, receive that. And if you're here and you're a believer, you know what this study ought to do? And, and tonight in your study groups, I want you to milk it. I've given you like, I got, I got to go print them, but there's like three pages of notes here. I'm sorry, but it's detailed stuff. Dig it out. Because here's what, believer, here's what this should do for us. Man, this ought to set you on fire with, with confidence in man. God is real. My faith is real. This stuff is serious business. God loves me and he sent his son to die for me. Therefore, the least I can do is present my body a living sacrifice. Live for Jesus. Let him dwell at the center of your life for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It just opens up understanding. I know today we're just sort of doing a big picture. I mean, I got into to so much more that can be gotten into in regards to this. Lord, give us a heart to study it out. Help us to look into your text because you're not wanting to hide from us. You, you, you've made it clear. In fact, all of time is divided by the coming of Christ. It's open before the world. And so, Lord, I pray that as followers of Christ, we would be sensitive to your leading and that we would be diligent to study and show ourselves approved. Help us to draw near because we can, because of who Jesus Christ is. He's a greater priest. He's a better mediator. Jesus is enough. In his name we pray. Amen.